Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 153 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I read books for the first time. In this episode, we are going to be reading the annotated The Hobbit, chapters 10 through 14. Also not written 15. by... What? Not 15. I'm going to double check that it's not 15 because now you've thrown No, me I'm off. saying. I, 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 yeah, I, was, I was adding on. Well, yeah, but the way you say it is like the thing you do when you actually don't remember, and I just want to make sure we didn't... Yeah, it's not, not, not 15. Not, not 15. 15? Not 15, guys. Are you sure we, it's not supposed to be 15? Not 15. What if I had read 15? Well, I want to. I also didn't mention that the book was written by J.R.R. Tolkien, and I mm. probably should have. Uh, if you don't know that, if you've been living in a hobbit hole in the ground... Is there someone else you're leaving out there? Yeah, but I forget his name. Douglas something. Douglas A. Anderson. How do you forget the name Douglas A. Anderson? That sounds like a pen name. That sounds like the name of somebody who's trying to run from the law. My name is D- Douglas A. I'm definitely not a Anderson. counterfeiter. Yeah, exactly. A paper hanger. Pay no attention to these shackles around my ankles. Okay, that the, whatever that was is over. Um, let's go on to housekeeping. Housekeeping. Do you have any? I do. Okay. Wait, maybe you can hear me better now. I can. Mm. In the last episode, uh, <laughs> I confused myself for a second. <clears throat> in the last episode, I said, in the last episode, we were talking about counting in German. Yeah. And you said, da. Yeah. That's Russian. Eins. I just wanted that called out. Yeah. In the last, in the last episode's housekeeping... We talked about talking about German in the previous episode, and you replied da to that. And I wanted that because I was talking about my bad German last time. I'm talking about your bad German this time. Your German's so bad, it's Russian. Yeah. Right on. All right. Well, that's fixed. I don't think there's see, how I, see, how, see how I fixed it too, though? Yeah. You ja unded me. Ja. Ja und. <laughs> ja und, Fräulein. Oh, we did. Oh, oh mm, What? Mm. Why you don't you don't say Fraulein anymore? Why? It's it's considered taboo. I can't say girl. It's I think what girl fuck? is girl is machin. Fraulein is like little lady. Okay. So you don't say that anymore. It's Why sexist. not? It's what? sexist. Oh my god! Look, of all I'm just the, saying. I guarantee unless, you, the Germans don't give a shit. They fucking do. I've heard this from Germans. Fine. Unless unless you're familiar with the person, like you could call. You don't think your I'm wife. familiar with you? I'm not German. You're also not a Fraulein. <laughs> I still called you that. <laughs> what, what kind of horrible no ending is this? What kind of horrible? I well, was tra- well, I have a social issue I must address this now. Was not I, I can't let this stand. About improv. This was about a lesson. This was about it teaching you something. So you be. didn't get in trouble the really? next time you go to Germany. Okay, f- thank you. I will certainly not make that mistake with all the little ladies I meet and like and become familiar with. Good. Okay, yeah, agreed. You know what I'll call them? Oh, how how would you like to be referred to? And then they'll all uh, go, that's weird. Why are you saying that in English? And I'll go, because I don't And why would you German. end it with a preposition, they would say. Yeah, yeah, we speak better English than you. And I would say, yeah, no shit, you're German. Anyway, back to... <laughs> Back to your preferred uh, nomenclature. I have a friend who says, I can't call you Fraulein. Um, can you tell me what I could call you? And you know what they'd say? Probably Fraulein. And I'd go, cool. That sounds fine. Thank you. But I'll just call you by your proper name, too. 
I'm just telling you what I heard. All right. Fine. Fair enough. We're here to talk about The Hobbit, right? <laughs> yeah, we could be. We could be here to talk about The Hobbit. We could be here to talk about uh, the annotated The Hobbit and not all of the ways are, in multitude of ways, our German is wrong, both functionally and <clears throat> appropriately. Mm. Anyway. So you're telling me you would have been, you would not have chastised me if I had said, if I had called you, if I had called you Mein Führer, you would have been like, oh, that's fine. Germans don't have a problem with you calling people that. Like, you wouldn't have been triggered, at least. Mein Führer or Der Führer? <laughs> I mean, I, I just feels like you're kind of combining Der Führer with Mein Kampf, but whatever I could be, I guess, your Führer. Mm. Mein Gott. Apologies to German <laughs> Again But where else can we have fun with philology Than in the annotated The Hobbit podcast So That was an amazing segue You or, had to call it out though Back on Oh I was very God proud damn of you. it! I was, I was so proud of you. getting right back into the show <laughs> Do you have any housekeeping doc? I feel like I've been skipping housekeeping. Like there's been things I've wanted to say, but like mm. I, I, and maybe that was one of them. And I was like, fuck it. Nobody cares. Nobody listens. You want to do a fantasy hike update? Oh, right. Crap. I wonder if there'll be like a secret level to unlock where I can go back again. Like there. And then once you've gone there, then mm -hmm. you can go back again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have a, I have a suspicion that once you hit it, it'll be like, well, you have to go home now. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping. You, you don't have Eagles. Yeah. You, uh... I could do mine while you're looking up yours. Oh, no, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting. I always want you to do yours first. Well, okay, it's for me, it's day 50, because mm -hmm. we've been taking a lot of breaks this summer during the show. So, apologies to those who wanted to hear the show regularly. Day 50. Yep. I don't remember where I was at the last show, uh, but I'm at 134 miles. Hey, not bad. Yeah, and I'm that only... Is... You've returned to the road, it looks like. Yeah, I'm only 324 miles behind Mr. Underhill. Hmm. And I've also been, like, really ignoring all the little updates it gives me. Mm. Like, I've I've gone through a number of different locations that I've already just, like... I think the last time we must have done it was around, like, day 28. I must have... Around, like... Because I, I remember being at the... The farmer, right? Halfling the farm. Farmer? Yeah. Yeah. And then... Since then, I've gone through the ancient forest mm -hmm. and old Tom's house, and now mm -hmm. I'm at the Barrows, mm. or at least in, 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 I'm at like, I'm pretty well past the, I'm not, I'm not past because I'm still in it, but like, that's the last thing I did, and that was at 99.4 miles. So anyway, I've been ignoring all the little, the cute little things, but I guess I could probably go, like I said, go back to day 28 and then scrub forward and see all the cute little things. That's what I've been doing whenever, because I'll, I'll get hit with a whole bunch of, um, yeah, Alerts at once, and I'm just like, no, fucking stop. I'm doing something else. Okay, uh, so blow me out of the water. How far are you? I'm at day 49 because I started a day after you. Mm -hmm. I'm at 399 miles. Mm -hmm. I just found three old stone trolls. That, that, that's how long it takes to get to the trolls? 400 fucking miles? Well, remember, it took them like two months. And we're I'm at day 49, so I'm pretty much going at at least Bilbo pace, if not Frodo pace. 
Yeah, with all your bouncing. Yep. Yep. And pacing. Yep. Sure, the pacing. Gotta add the pacing. Gotta add the pacing. Um, anyway, that's our update. That is our update. And now. Well, I look forward to seeing you on your way back again. Because you'll, of... you'll, you'll lap me, is what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of one rings going around. Without further ado. Oh, now we can speak German? Yep. That's German, right? Oh, yeah. It's not, is it? It's French. I do? I don't fucking know what the language is. Um, I mean, as far as I know, it's ten leprechauns on each other's shoulders in a coat. Haven't you ever read the play Much Ado About Nothing? Googling it. It is French. I knew it. Secondly. No, that's a Jew. I said a do. No. A D O. No. Yes. Don't know any. Its origin is late Middle English from Old French to mean to God. Everything, every fucking thing means God back then. Dumb. Yeah, my name's Jerry. Oh, Jerry, that's a cute name. What does that mean? It means God. Look, we never claim to be philologists. We just claim to be bad at everything. All right, back to the show. Uh, so it was chapter 10. A warm welcome. All right. Bilbo and the dwarves arrive in Lake Town waterlogged and grumpy but are soon treated to a warm fire and a feast by the master of Lake Town. They stay for a week, recovering from their travels before setting out again for the mountain to claim their long-forgotten gold. That's the summary. That's what happens in that chapter. Yeah. Um, I have a note. What's, what's your note, Doug? Um, my note's on page 249. Oh, okay. Uh, and on this note, it says that it's announced that the dwarves are without their arms. They don't have any weapons, including uh, Ocrist, apparently, which is kind of alarming that they lost all their, their including this legendary weapon, they lost all their shit. Except Sting, because Bilbo wasn't captured by the elves. Right. But they didn't get their swords and shit back when they left the elves. It's kind of yeah, fucked up. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I didn't think about uh, Ocrist being taken. But you're right. I mean, unless I'm missing something, it sure seems no. to have been. No, I don't. I think I think that may have left the tail. Interesting. Do you have any? Do you have any notes? <laughs> okay, cool. Um, nope. Looks like these arms are made for lifting. <laughs> I have an overview note here on this chapter. It says, I had I I and this is a parenthetical, probably not kept in. I did have a possible note had you had another note, but you didn't. So what? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to bring it up. We'll talk about later. Oh, what? Okay. Is this about my bad German? Um, No, no. Okay. Overview note, this section is remarkably different from the film. Far less fighting and a far more courteous representation of the master of Lake Town. Mm. I mean, he's still stingy. And and in a later chapter, he does show his colors of being conniving and power hungry. Sure. But he's not as outright disgusting, like, as he is in the film. Right. He's not he's not Stephen Fry playing a heavy. Yeah. That's all I have for that chapter. Yeah, there's not much to say there. I said everything that could be said. You did. Okay. Chapter 11. On the doorstep. Thorin's party departs from Lake Town towards the Lonely Mountain with restocked supplies and new ponies. Before the mountain, they discover the desolation of smog, the scorched lands that have yet to heal from his fire and death. 
Once at the mountain, the dwarves discover scattered paths and broken steps leading them to a hidden flat gray stone. After days of pondering and thinking about how to get into the stone door, the thrush knocked, the moon shone, and the keyhole appeared, and the door opened. And that's the end of that chapter. Uh, I do this have is, some notes. I have a note. Okay, this, is, this, is, this is closer to housekeeping, but, I want, but it was so chapter specific I wanted to keep it here. In the last chapter, it said they got to Lake Town on Bilbo's birthday. Okay. September 22nd, or at least then the annotation referenced Lord of the Rings, where in Lord of the Rings he references getting to Lake Town on his birthday. Okay. Which is September 22nd. And that's a, at, which a, at, at which point I was confused because I thought in an earlier podcast, I thought I said Durin's Day was in August. Mm. But if you. If you Google it, it shows that Durin's Day, it's one of those roving holidays. Uh, in 2023, it will be on December 13th. So I think what was said was it was the last day of autumn, not August. Oh, okay. And I got those mixed up in the past. So I just want to clear that up now. I understand Durin's Day, December, because, you know, December, the first day of winter happens, so that which means the last day of fall also happens, or autumn. And that's what Durin's Day is. Yeah, Last but- day of autumn in December. <laughs> Yeah, but that really also depends on where you are on the planet. Like for us, December is far winter. De- December is not cl- no no day in December is just autumn. because there's snow outside doesn't mean it's winter, Doug. Yes, it does. Everyone knows winter starts yeah. December twenty first. No, that's yes. stupid and dumb. If you're gonna just be uh, meteorological about it, then mm-hmm. you can fuck right off. But because uh, uh, winter is snow, <laughs> meteorology is a science. <laughs> yeah. Okay cool um literally or hot more literally no because snow is not hot it's cool oh, i thought you meant meteorology it's not oh, no. just you know no nothing's um, cool about meteorology come on so yeah uh that uh, i can appreciate your uh confusion because as a person who's grown up in alaska august is kind of the end oh of, we're just giving out our address now of autumn people know we've talked about this i know yeah, Octo- it snows in October. There's no such thing as a uh, Halloween without snow pants, and uh, <laughs> that's just the way it goes. Enjoy those skin-tight costumes, because you're going to be frozen. I have a note on 265. I have a note on 262, so I'm going to go first. Chronologically, you may. No mention thus far of the Arkenstone. Mm. As I re- say right here, the magical MacGuffin from the movies. That will change. But it is is in the film. It's a far earlier teasing and establishment of the one of the main reasons Thorin needs to get there is to claim the Arkenstone, to claim the lordship of the kingdom under the mountain. I I feel like the Arkenstone is a bigger deal in the movie. It is so far. Yeah. I mean, honestly, there's a lot. A lot of this. These the chapters we've read today are expounded upon greatly in the films. Um, lots more activity in Lake Town. Lots more activity with smog. You could almost say bloated. The 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 battle. Well, yeah, but like, I don't honestly know. I mean, a little bit, maybe like fifteen percent bloated. Like, mm-hmm. I think that if you're gonna turn this into a movie to make it exciting, you can't just have and then smog flew in and burned everything up for five minutes. It can't be a five minute sequence. It's got to be fifteen twenty to give like you know set pieces. Uh, anyway, it. I'm not happy with how the movies were bloated. That's why I never saw the third one. Oh, they're uh, fair enough. Um, and they are. And there's things in them that are a little too much. But like, 
after having read this and seeing how much is actually in the book, like, mm-hmm. again, like, if you break down just the stuff that we've encountered so far, they have an entire journey and experience in Lake Town that has to establish what Lake Town is, the people there, you have to understand so much about their world, then you have to establish that the dwarves are moving on, and then you have to, like, honestly, the thing that I would take out of the movies to make them more like the book is the entire pursuit of the bad guy orc hmm. whose name i've forgotten all of a sudden starts with an a azog azog yeah azog right yeah i probably would have just cut all of that like oh yeah that's that's the part that's the most uh, uh, intrusive and overwritten and, and a lot of the film involves dealing with that character which i just i think you just don't need I think again. I think that Peter Jackson needed, wanted to have lots of combat and fighting, so he he felt like he needed to have that. But like, it's not in the book. Whatever. And, and considering how like picky Tolkien was about like little things about like the artwork, like especially reading all these annotations in this book, where he'd be like, "Look, I don't think that this piece of art should be included in the, in any publication because it's not good enough." Or like, "I don't like like this person who's a great artist is not allowed to make art for my work because it's too Disneyfied." Or it's too cartoonish. He gave it a full moon. It's clearly a gibbous moon. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Why are exactly. you sending me this shit? That kind of shit. <laughs> and and it's it's like, considering how strict he was, I feel like he would be bothered by mm. the inclusion of Azog as a antagonist in the film, as opposed to just. I mean, let's be honest. It's a mostly like man versus self story, but like there are a many other exterior like conflicts that happen or external mm-hmm. conflicts that happen, but like it's really about like Bilbo conquering himself yeah. while he's helping Thorin conquer himself. Right. And the dragon. But anyway. This is this is basically Brittany runs a marathon. I don't know what that is. It's it's a movie about a woman named Brittany who runs a marathon. It's kinda on the nose. There's no no, no um, more nuance I, to it. Just just Brittany running a marathon. I'm sure there's much more nuance. I never saw it and I think it's oh. called Brittany. It's somebody runs a marathon. I'm pretty sure mm. it's Brittany. Um I have a note on the last page, so I think you're up. All right, 265. It never occurred to me until I saw the pictures in this book, the artwork, but it sure seems like the hidden door illuminated by the light was an inspiration for the Well of the Souls and the Staff of Ra in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, fascinating. Because that last, you know, beam comes through and shows them the way. That's where you say, yeah, Yeah, I agree. That sounds really fascinating. And then you talk about it for half an hour and I can just sit back and relax. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you did it. (sighs) What? Hmm? I yes-handed you. Sure did. Ya und. Look, I was trying to set myself up. I can't just handle... I can't just be the guy who handles your inspiration. Man, there's so much we read here. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you said uh, you like the Staff of Ra. <laughs> I mean, the Staff is just a piece of wood about yay high. It's the headstone? Yeah. The headpiece. The headpiece, excuse me. Stickler. It's bronze. It's got a crystal in the middle. <sighs> right? Because he has it burned into his hand. Oh, taut, yes. It's hot. Yeah. It's, have you seen the movie? Have you, have you seen this movie you purport to love so much you couldn't reference, you couldn't pick up on an obvious miming of a crucial the, moment the, in the film? The, 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 well, I thought you were doing the thing where they were doing the Nazi salute and being melted. No. I didn't see your other hand, so. My other hand was down. Well, I guess it was still a Nazi salute. Uh, the point is, you're, you're big into Nazi salutes and speaking German. I don't know what's going on. 
Nein. Nein, nein, nein. Anyway, my last note, <laughs> unless you have another one. Uh, no. My last note that I, is that I really liked the last sentence. But I'll just read the last paragraph because I like the whole thing and the context is nice. Okay. Now they all pushed together, and slowly a part of the rock wall gave way. Long straight cracks appeared and widened. A door, five feet high and three broad, was outlined, and slowly, without a sound, swung inwards. It seemed as if darkness flowed out like a vapor from the hole in the mountainside, and deep darkness, in which nothing could be seen, lay before their eyes. A yawning mouth leading in and down. I like that. I don't know. Just really liked it. I like I all like the it. imagery. I think it's really one of the strongest moments in the in the chapter. I like it much better now that you've read it aloud. I don't Aww. think I appreciated it. It's scary, you know. It's like it it, it yeah. shows it shows so many like so many different things that he he's doing there. Like just about like the there's mysticism in it with the door that's a you know, made of stone that makes no sound when it moves. Like that doesn't mm-hmm. sound right. There's the the black vapor that comes out of this dark and scary place and then like the idea of it not only going in but also down is like like a mouth about to swallow like, you yeah and and also you're descending like like it's always it's kind of a scary thing like mm-hmm. how do you get back out of a hole once you get into it yeah i liked it anyway you have any more notes in that chapter i don't bring us into chapter 12 inside information in this chapter bilbo and the dwarves discuss all the unaccounted for issues with their quest How are we dealing with the dragon, and how do we transport Bilbo's share back to the Shire? Tasked with inspecting Smaug's hoard, Bilbo finds the dragon asleep on a treasure pile. Quietly, he brings back to the dwarves a golden cup full of coins and gems. But dragons know the extent of their hoard's sum, and Smaug knew the cup was missing. Enraged, the great worm flew out of the mountain and ate several of the dwarves' ponies before returning to his chambers. Bilbo, now tasked with returning to investigate the dragon further, is discovered and speaks smog and riddles that betray their allies, the men of Lake Town. Bilbo narrowly escapes the dragon again, only for the beast to fly southwards towards the lake with vengeance on his mind. So that's what happens in this section of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple notes. I have a couple notes, too. 268. My, 267. Mm. I think we should bring back the phrase, third time pays for all. Do much, it. Much, much more interesting than uh, third time's the charm. Hmm. I think they might mean different things, though. Nah. Okay. I, I mean, they may come from different things, but I think eventually they're like, oh, th- you know, three is a magic number. Third time's the charm. Third time pays for all. They're, they're, they're saying the same thing. Okay. Okay. Yep. Saying the same thing. Yep. My note on page 268, this description of dwarves is quite interesting. Tolkien made them sound quite shrewd and cruelly practical. This does not feel appropriate for the dwarves of Thorin's company, but does feel appropriate when describing the dwarves from the Children of Hurin. Mm. What was his name? Uh, there was somebody, the Petty Dwarf. I forget his right. full name. Yeah, I don't remember his name either, but they were definitely calculating in a... Uh, darkly calculating, let's say. Yeah. Uh, which is, I mean, how he kind of describes the dwarves here, which, I, again, I'll, we might as well read. But I just, you know, it's it's an interesting description because it just feels like, I mean, the first thing he says about them is that they're not heroes, which I thought was very interesting. Uh, here we go. The most that can be said for the dwarves is this. They intended to pay Bilbo really handsomely for his services. 
They had brought him to do a nasty job for them, and they did not mind the poor little fellow doing it if he would, but they would all have done their best to get him out of trouble if he got into it, as they did in the case of the trolls at the beginning of their adventure, before they had any particular reason for being grateful to him. There it is. Dwarves are not heroes, but calculating folk with a great idea of the value of money. Some are tricky and treacherous and pretty bad lots, some are not, but are decent enough people like Thorin and company if you don't expect too much. Mm. And I thought that was interesting because it kind of just feels like people to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't feel like that's a... It's interesting that he would make the distinction here for dwarves as being in this mold, uh, in this dichotomy that he, he pre- presents. Because, I, again, I feel like that's mostly just people. But and on, on further rec- like reflection, I think he might just be specifically saying, in terms of fairy stories and fantasy stories... The hero, you the, the heroes of your tales you expect to be noble and selfless. Right. That is not the case with dwarves. Dwarves are more like this. They are not heroes. And I think that that's a really interesting. It must have been a thing he really had to point out in in 1936 or whatever this book came out. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, he was combating you know Snow White. Yeah. And that's that's sort of the context I'm trying to like adjust myself to is at the time most of the stories of her- heroism must have been much more straightforward and again like I said selfless and obvious but this feels very much like not, I'm not not going to say antiheroes but they just feel like more like real people because mm-hmm. I was reflecting on it, it's like that's how I feel like I am like like I, I'm not going to run into a burning building just because it's burning. Right. Um, I would probably even be the person to stop people I care about from running in and being heroes. Like, I'm the kind of guy, and I'm not ashamed to say it, who uh, doesn't like stopping to help people who have flat tires because I have had enough experiences and learned enough about how that can oftentimes be a trap. It can be a trap to sucker nice people into losing all of their money and maybe even being hurt. Unfortunately, it's the kind of thing where, like, look, there are services for that. And people could call and get those services or someone else more foolish than I can stop and help them. So but, you're saying you're a dwarf? Yeah. Fair enough. Dwarf. It's, it's a hard V. Dwarf. I don't think that's it. but I You're like a it. dwarf on the wharf. Whoa. All right. So that's my note on the dwarfs. Dwarves. As I was saying it, I realized I was being set up. No, it's fine. You're actually you're you're being correct. That's what makes it a bit. Jesus Christ. Oh. Um, <laughs> this fucking guy. Um, page two seventy. Yeah, this amused me. I'll actually, I'll read it since you since we're reading. Ooh, we're doing lots of readings today. That's look at who's Carrie Elways now with your selected <laughs> readings. Um, now read it like Carrie Elways. It's not gonna happen. Aw. At any rate, after a short halt, go on he did, and you can picture him coming to the end of the tunnel, an opening of much the same size and shape as the door above. That amused me. Why did it amuse me? There we go. Because of the phrasing, at any rate... Oh, hold on. And you can picture him after a short halt, he did go on. I get what he's saying, I get what he's doing, and it is a children's book, but at this point, Bilbo is has the ring on, and you can't picture shit because he's invisible. Right. So, I got you, Tolkien. I got you. But being that we are the readers, we can imagine him being invisible and we seeing him even though no one else can. Shut up. 
Do you have any other notes? Yeah, I do. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm just saying it amused me. That's all. Okay. It, it did. Okay. It did amuse you. I was amused. You were. My boosh was amused. One of us was going to do it. Um, <laughs> glad it wasn't me. <laughs> Page 271, okay. annotation two. Okay. The idea that language used to be exclusively literal is fascinating to me. Would that we could return to a time when English words meant precisely what we said. No inference, no ambiguity, just strict statements of desire, intent, and interpretation. That's what this novel's about? Yeah. Didn't you read it? I kind of did. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, it's so long. Oh, yeah. Maybe read read what you're supposed to read the first time. <laughs> Oof, I'm just... I'm, I'm oh, my God. It basically says... <laughs> There was a guy that Tolkien liked and read who suggested that there was a time in language before metaphor. There was a time in language before saying that one thing that wasn't another thing was actually like that other thing in a way that you could relate to emotionally or figuratively. Mm. And that there's a joke in this moment where Tolkien writes something in a way that's sort of like a weird philologist turn of phrase that if you had read that guy's work, you would get the joke but like otherwise wouldn't. It's one of the best examples of why an annotated book is nice because I wouldn't have known that, but here it is someone explaining the joke to me and that's perfect. I love that. We don't do it enough on this show. That's true. That's very true. It could have just recently happened and someone could have been scolded about it in either way. It still doesn't happen enough, but the, uh, but yeah, I really like that idea because I think that a lot of miscommunication, unfortunately, is the result of metaphoric communication. It's a result of figurative language sure. where people get upset and angry with each other because they don't understand one another. And it's precisely because they're, you know, they're too much. I'm trying not to use figurative language. In You're how saying say you it. want to get rid of all this neoliberal fascist metaphor. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I thought so. Um, I think more of what I'm saying is, is that, okay, backing up a little bit. I feel like there's a way our language is uh, eroding in a sense that's pushing it more towards Darmok and Jalad, where we're going to end up in a way where we're only speaking in emotions and we're not speaking in in uh solid comments and statements hmm. and i th i think that that like like when you look at things like uh the use of emojis or the use of very specific slang that has so much more to do with emotion than it has to do with content not that emotion can't be part of the content but it, it, the, the specific like nouns or verbs or things like that that, that build an actual thought are being pushed out for the feeling that goes along with that experience. And I feel like there's a, mm, there's an appropriate use of all of that, but I, I, I'm interested in seeing how far away from specific language we end up getting, because it seems like it's been a slow degradation. Interesting. Um, so like, it's not the opposite, but maybe like the inverse of what Orwell thought would happen. What did Orwell think would happen? Language getting pared down and simplified to control and streamline people's thoughts. 
Yeah, I see what you're saying. But 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 yours isn't with that end goal in mind, but it is a similar simplification. It's a similar simplification, but towards the end goal of just being able to communicate your feelings harder yeah. than thoughts. Right. Or, or more efficiently than thoughts. And I feel like that's the thing that gets on my nerves is like people with feelings. Uh, well, no, but we've got, we've got with the advent of social media, I do think we've gotten to the point where, especially at least in this country, the value of a person's experience has been reduced to how much attention they can get for it. And the most outlandish, the most emotional, the most, uh, you know, inciting an experience, the more valid it becomes. And so people are more incentivized through the, their environment to prioritize those feelings. And that becomes all people are, are just a bundle of volatile emotions that need to express so that they can further get validation for the emotion. And I feel like that is deeply caustic and problematic for functional society. There's some truth in that. I, 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 I feel like I see that exemplified in headlines all the time. The headline mm-hmm. is emotional and insane. And when you read the story, you're like, how the fuck did you get that headline out of this? Right. Because it's oh. the emotional, uh, it's the emotional this. What do you call that? The, the uh, uproar? Um, no. The, 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 ins- the incentive is, or the, the, the currency is the thrill. Like the reason that they get you to do that is because you've bought it because you're like, oh, that sounds exciting. And then you read it and you're like, you get you get that rush of, oh, how great this is going to be. And then you read it and you're a little bit let down or you're it's just as ridiculous as it says it is. But there's no repercussions, which right. is also frustrating. And I go so, on yeah, social I, media and I say my little bon mo and I walk away feeling like I've solved the world and move on. Or something like think of it this way, like I commented on a TikTok a couple days ago that was a. It was so worthless. It was a a video a guy posted that was a, a reply to a comment another person made. And the person in the comment was being mean to the guy who made the video by basically calling him fat and saying that no one would ever want to date him. And the guy in the video says, yeah, I know. Um, I was just having a little fun using some filters. I'm not actually looking to find anybody on here. But, you know, just trying to have some fun. And it was like this like, charming sort of like self-assured uh, response to this like m- mean comment that I thought was like really like, again, like I, I, I thought it had value and I, I, it, it struck me emotionally in a chord where I was like, and this guy deserves some praise. So I went, so I went back to the a video that the guy, the, the commenter was commenting on and watched it. And it was sure enough was just this silly filter where it was like, you get three hearts describing your like characteristics about you as a dating partner. And this guy is something where like, and to be fair to this guy, this guy is overweight. He, when he, he he does a lot of his videos laying down on the couch, so his neck folds up over his chin, and he very much looks like an overweight person. Little boss nasty, and not not to not to add, pile on and be mean to this guy. It's just I it, think it's important in the sense that you're not seeing this to understand. You know, the I love Brian Blessed, so I'm you fine with do. that. I also know that you love it when I describe TikToks. So the um, <laughs> better than watching TikToks. The this is the visual, and then the hearts that pop up say something like uh, clingy, uh, attention-hungry, and chubby. And when it gets to chubby, which is the third one, he sort of makes an acknowledgement of like, well, yeah, I guess so. So I go back to the first video I saw, which was the response video to the comment of the video I just described. Yes. And I comment something like, hey, dude, you rule. Well, in the 
couple of days since then, that comment has like 600 likes. It's fucking worthless. Like it was, it was your not, comment has 600 likes. Yes. My comment of, Hey dude, you rule has 600 likes it's over that much engagement because that's how social media works or only the 600 people of the thousand or so that saw it took the time to push the heart button. Mm-hmm. But like, it's just fascinating to see our society embrace this exclusive emotional experiences. Like there's, there's really no, there's so much little appreciation for uh, what I would argue are actual accomplishments or cog- cognitive accomplishments. Like maybe it's also just my algorithm because the way things, these things work, but like I'll occasionally see like way too long videos about scientific stuff and they get attention. It's, it feels like so much of, like I said, the, the, the social capital in that we're, we have in our, in our uh, marketplace right now is exclusively emotionally driven. And Mm -hmm. I find that really tiresome and tedious. Uh, I think that there's, there's a certain level of empathy and, and experience you can have that's exhausting. And, when that is the primary thing that everyone's experiencing again, secondhand, like these aren't things that you're experiencing really on your own in your life, which should take all of your emotional energy. There's somebody else's They're proxy emotions. And it's anyway, I, I just have this feeling like that's where we're, that is kind of where we've gone. I don't know about where we're going, but that's where we are. And uh, it's fascinating to read this little bit about like, I, I wonder not not to say that emotions would be taken out of a strict literal speech, but at least someone when they said, uh, you know, you've insulted me. You'd know, oh, I've, I've insulted this person and that that has very likely caused them emotional stress. And then you'd, you'd know as opposed to being like, why did you say that? And it's like. There's a lot of reasons why I would have said the thing I said. Uh, maybe it's because you said this and this was a response to that. But the, there's this, when I try to, I've just experienced trying to be very literal with people, to, to be more direct, to navigate through this morass of emotion, mm-hmm. uh, it often just makes people confused and uh, bothered because they're not accustomed to it. They're so much more accustomed to communicating exclusively through emotional needs. Anyway, do better everyone. And that's my note about philology. I probably should have read that uh, annotation a little closer. I just read the headline. Should have read it. (laughs) Um, I also have a note on page 285. Okay. Do you have any more notes in this chapter? I do not. Okay, cool. 285. Go ahead and flip to it. The note is simply, I just like this depiction of Bilbo in the art. Oh, the I was going to say a very 70s looking hippie Bilbo with the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he the thing I like about it is it just feels so much more like the kind of Hobbit I like. I'm used to seeing, I think mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times we'll see the Hobbit with the, the like the Russian hairy legs or the um, like he looks a little too much like a gnome. And I yeah, think like this like one, like a like a crusty old man. Yeah. And this one really fits the like round happy eater yeah exactly the round guy with the with the childlike curly hair and the oh look actually this one pops i just happened to luckily weirdly flip to it it's the same okay if you flip to page 247 it's the same artist same description 
with with uh, and if you hold them open at the same time, you can see them next to each other. It's fascinating. It's it's. I actually like both of these pieces. So two forty seven listener and two eighty five. Bilbo releases a dwarf from a barrel, and Bilbo escapes from Smaug's fire. Yeah, these are both from uh, the Chica. artist Chica from the nineteen seventy six French edition of the book. Um, so far, those are my favorite. Some some of my more favorite illustrations. Um, I, I think there's an element of like I think another thing I like about them is that how round they are. Like the mm-hmm. the circle a lot the lot the use of circles in the art there really help establish the childlike feeling of it, like the safe children's book element of what we're what we're looking at as opposed to some of the like sharper darker things that other artists have tried or the like more folklorish like gnome with the pointed hat stuff i don't really like those those are not my favorite no anyway uh buy the annotated hobbit book and see all the art we're talking about or buy whatever the fuck artists is that we keep getting referenced and have no idea what or where to find all right anything else in that chapter Take us into chapter 13. Not at home. Smog has destroyed the stone entrance behind the dwarves, which forces Thorn and company into Smog's lair. Cautiously, Bilbo treks out first to investigate under the invisible shroud of the ring. Finding the halls deserted by their monstrous tenant, Bilbo discovers and pockets the Arkenstone without telling Thorin. Soon, all the dwarves and Bilbo are marching towards the front door, gawking at the treasure left behind in the dragon's horde. They outfit themselves with new armor and make their way safely to an abandoned watchtower where they rest and discuss what must come next. No notes. No notes? Okay. Uh, I have a note and a half. Remind me of the half because I didn't write it down. I'll try. Page 293. Okay, so now there's an Arkenstone. Yes. I just think that it's interesting that it should appear so late in the book where it is a seemingly a central motivation in the film. It's like in the film, it's almost like they didn't think that just getting home to, to, to liberate Erebor was enough motivation for Thorin, but he also like, that's the motivation for all the other dwarves, but Air, uh, but Thorin has to have the motivation of, no, I need to reclaim my seat as King under the mountain. They, it's almost like they needed a, a one ring for that movie. Yeah, it's kind of like that, while also having the One Ring present. Right. What's your half note? My half note is that in the outfitting that they do when they get all their weapons and stuff, they uh, Bilbo gets his mithril chainmail. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something. This is not really my note. It's something I've heard before from other people, and more. I've heard it in relation to Lord of the Rings when Bilbo hands the mithril jacket to Frodo. Frodo. But that the description, and it happens in this book, and I just don't remember where it is because I didn't take the note. It's described as being a mithril chainmail that was in order to justify how small and fitting it would be for a hobbit, they describe it as being for an elven prince. Okay, so it turns out if you take a 30,000 foot view of Lord of the Rings, the only elven prince technically at the time would have been Legolas. So that that shirt was literally belonged to Legolas or was made for him and never got or, to him. or was made for him and never got to him and eventually becomes Bilbo's and Frodo's. Interesting idea. Yeah. Do you think I mean, we don't know how long ago it was made. I know Legolas is long lived, but maybe it was for Theron deal. It's entirely possible. It's entirely I, possible. I'm just, I'm just throwing it out there. 
Just because yeah, I, I don't want people coming after you without that being at least acknowledged. It's entirely possible. I don't believe Leave at any point Doug in, the, alone. in the fiction is it established that it is, in fact, 100% only Legolas, but... Well, it just stands to reason, I think, that if uh, there's a king, when he was younger, he probably was a prince. Unless he was the first king. And I, 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 as a scientist, I have to acknowledge that possibility. <laughs> Dwarf science. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So that's the only notes I have for that chapter. Yeah, I have no notes. Okay, then let's go to chapter 14. Fire and water. Smaug attacks Lake Town. A mighty bowman named Bard uses a black arrow and the help of a talking thrush to fell the terrible dragon, but not before most of Lake Town is burned and demolished. The survivors are hungry and sick with the onset of cold weather and minimal shelter, but quickly a new fire of hope stokes in their hearts as dreams of Smaug's unclaimed treasure dance in their heads. Soon, word of Smaug's death reaches the Mirkwood Elves, Bayorn, and even the Goblins. It seems as though all parties will make their way to Erebor to claim the dragon's hoard. Do you have any notes? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I got one on page 307. Okay. Do you have no note before that? No, I don't have any note before that. I thought it was a regular bow and, a, and an arrow, not a siege bow or windlance ballista. I hated that in the movie. I hated that. You're halfway correct. I think it isn't a siege ballista. It isn't a. It isn't that. You're right. But I also don't think it's a regular bow. And I don't well, it's a, it's a. I mean, it's a large longbow. If that's what you're saying, I mean, they the say they call it a U longbow here. I meant the arrow. It's not a regular arrow. Sure, but it's not a four-foot arrow. It's it's regular arrow size. It's a special arrow. Yes. But but what makes it special is I believe that it is metal, like solid through. And I'm through. fine with it being metal, but it's a it's a one of these. Not yes. I have to put it into a machine machine yes. gun it into this. Yes. That shit is what pissed me off. Yes, because it's far more epic to have the guy with his last arrow, you know, drawing his arms trembling and all that shit. And a talking little bird. And a talking little bird, not fucking. Oh, that, God, that, that pissed me off. Man, can you just imagine that little bird if it's a, with the voice of John Oliver being like, oh, you have to shoot it right in the in the sore spot. Look there. <laughs> well, I don't know if you have to shoot it oh. over there. <laughs> you said John Oliver. I was thinking John Mulaney. No. <laughs> that was a much more interesting thrush. Really? Well, you're going to use that arrow? <laughs> I picked uh, John Oliver because he played Zazu in The Lion King, you know, Talking Bird. But so did Rowan Atkinson. But I didn't say him. I know. I'm just thinking, wow, this British guy is playing birds. Wow. And that is another lesson in explaining the joke because sometimes it's you necessary. You just don't fucking get it. Yeah. Um. So... I don't know if I entirely agree. I think that it kind of would have been cool if it was like a huge bow like that, that he had to string up in a regular a huge arrow like that. that He had to string up in a regular bow. I think that would have been fun. I agree that the like giant crossbow thing is stupid from the movie. Do you think that was a Peter Jackson thing or, or or a producer who was just like, Hey, you gotta get a fucking drag is like an airplane. You basically need to have like a surface to air arrow. I don't know, but it doesn't really matter because it still resulted in the same thing. Yeah, it matters. It matters. Um, but yeah, it was interesting to see that distinction and that difference. Although, it, it, did Bard show up before this? 
Uh, he was definitely earlier in Lake Town okay. when the dwarves got there. They established him as soon as they got. Probably another reason the movie was so long because we had to show Bard and like his kid, or his kids. kids, and there was shenanigans. Hey, don't with forget Tariel. We could we could also remove the Tariel bit and the Azog and all of the a lot of the stuff with Bard and have a much shorter film. Yeah, I know. Still a shitty arrow. Yeah. And no talking was I can't remember. There, there's no talking thrush in the movie, right? No. Yeah. No, I don't think there's any talking animals in that those movies. I remember in when it was Guillermo del Toro's project, he was definitely pro talking animals, and they got rid of all of that when Peter Jackson took over, just to keep it in line with his movies. But I thought they would at least keep the thrush, but apparently not. No. Not cool, man. Yeah. There's, there's no thrush going. And now imagine that thrush with the voice of Seth Rogen being like, Ugh, I just ate a whole bunch of slugs. <laughs> Ugh, I'm really full from flying from the Lonely Mountain. Hey, by the way, use the black arrow. <laughs> That's my Seth Rogen, everyone. It's a good one. It's solid. I, I wish I had a Seth Rogen, but I don't. I don't. I don't have any notes in this chapter. No? Yeah, this was the chapter where I was like, yeah, there's nothing to say. This is This is all set up for whatever the battle of five armies is. And uh, I will say that in this section, we do get the uh, master of Lake town being a little bit more asshole ish, Mm -hmm. which is fun, but I don't uh, appreciate bard at all as a character. No, just, just a dude who shows up with a bow. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. Not with a bang, but with a whimper. So new word alert. Okay. We did that one last time. It's really a fucking ad on my fucking dictionary app. So fucking stupid. Okay, so now that I know all that's going to be cut, I want to add this. I have a I have a problem with my first new word. And this is something I, I'm saying because I don't know if I want this included. Oh, is this the note that I didn't have earlier? Yeah. Ah, okay. Because it's a, it's a, it's it's a, a new it's, word. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. From page 253? I don't know, but probably. Okay. From an annotation? Probably. Yeah. Because they had yeah. to point it out and explain. It's like it's like the other annotation they did about a word that's got a connotation now that is not good. Mm-hmm. 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 So you do want to talk about it? We could try it. Okay. Knowing that, knowing that we're both understanding that we can also cut it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, we, we could mispronounce it, too. That might help. I don't know how, but okay. How about this? I'll, I'll give it a shot. You tell me if it's if it's bad or not. Nagardly. I'll take it. I'll accept it. Okay. I like I like the uh, <laughs> long A. Because <laughs> um, I, I saw that and I thought Doug's going to see that and want to talk about it. And I did... I did do some uh, digging on etymology.com. Fascinating. But what do you find out about it? Well, I figured let's just start over with the classic new word alert, and then you can you can launch into your bit when I when I play it. Oh, okay. 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 All right. Here we go. <laughs> new word alert. New word alert. Niggardly. Uh, yeah, a stingy person. Out, that is a that that this this robot's pronunciation is exactly the problem. 
<laughs> a stingy person, because I, I looked it up. Yeah, we both um, had to have. And, and there is... At first, they're saying uh, it's not related to the other word. So let's, let's start over. So the, this word actually has a pretty significant annotation that goes along with it in the book. Yes. Which is, a, is exactly it's, that. It's, it's, well, exa- wait, wait. it's not even used in the book. It's used in the annotation. Right. That's, that's the point. That, that, uh, Tolkien did not use this word. What page did you say this was? 253. Eight. The, the 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 sentence is so he spoke to the master and his counselors. That's it, and then the note is where it said uh, the master and his counselors are drawing their inspiration from the mayor and corporation who ruled the city of Hamlin in Robert Browning's poem, "The Pied Piper of Hamlin." Both the masters of Lake Town and the mayor of Hamlin are this word selfish which, and aware of their of their townsmen's interests. Yes. Um, and just do this so, correctly. Yeah. Go ahead. You- I just think this is a, it's a fascinating example of like the, it's a, I think it's a fascinating look into the idea of bad words because mm-hmm. this word is not, I mean, unless you, unless you have more etymology rules that explain that it is. Uh, so, so yes. Um, what I got from. Online etymology dictionary is that it seems to come from the ng in stingy. Oh, nigard, nigard, nigart. Whereas the other word, which I just straight up googled the etymology of that uh, origin, is from English niger or Latin. Let's say Niger. Um, which is Latin for black. Yeah, yeah. There's so these are there. There are two. It's er versus ar. It's they right. They come from different parents, and they're separate words. Yeah. Both used pejoratively, and I am a hundred percent sure most people today who would use that word are using it with a twinkle in their eye, going, "No, I mean something oh, else." Of, yeah, no, I don't think if anybody uses this word to describe someone who's being shrewd and stingy, um, they're all they themselves may are either massively ignorant <laughs> or are with that vocabulary. Yeah, they they are they're edgelording around trying to get people excited because they're being like again talking about the currency of attention and the currency of emotion they're just trying to stir shit up so they can get those things just to reinforce your other idea about having different parents i mean in in spanish the word for black is the same Mm -hmm. it's 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 lots of languages i'm sure that all derive from latin Mm -hmm. have very similar words there but there's other things that are like you know speaking of like the distinction which is just intensely important here like, because I think it's fair to say, like, niggardly, as the word is described in this book, is a word that um, I don't think I'm going to start adopting because oh, no. of all the, the reasons we've discussed. But it's also like the thing I find fascinating is how much an association with another word can affect an entirely separate word in a way that, like, is uh, is a little unfair. Like, this word doesn't need anybody to stand up for it. But it is a word that describes a very specific thing, but just because it's a homophonic to another offense, excuse me, another offensive word, 
you and I are both having trouble even discussing it. Sure. Because it feels like it feels like it's in the it's again, it's it's homophonically in the realm of offensive. And yeah. that's not something in offensive in a way we're not excited to be. <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we don't have any in, like in, we neither of us get enjoyment over that specific kind of like problem. I mean, you might as well say Froline. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So like I, I think that I, that's what I find fascinating about it is like the idea that this this other word that's, again, entirely different is actually a casualty of mm-hmm. this other word's use. Kind of like in a much less dramatic or upsetting way, uh, a lot like the word moist mm, okay. or or the word Karen, um, where these these other ideas that are honestly completely separate from those words. The associations have, have eclipsed. Yes, exactly. The associations have eclipsed the other words original intended meaning, and those are no longer essentially relevant. Like they've poisoned them so badly mm-hmm. that you just you can't go for it you can't use those words much anymore not so, yeah. that anyone's making a case for using the word karen. that started this conversation oh, karen. right right <laughs> oh yeah making sure that's clear uh yeah in no way i i'm actually making uh well i'm making a case for using i kind of am making a case for i'm advocating for the tragedy of niggardly that's, that's what it. i'm saying the, the 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 recognition that that word did nothing wrong <laughs> is is really what I'm saying. Like it's it's, and that's what I find fascinating. Not again, not a word I intend to adopt uh, beyond the use in this exact specific circumstances, mm-hmm. where the context feels like like the context of new word alert and the fact that this word has all this other context around it right. uh, is, is the only time I see myself using it. But the but that I think is is worth pointing out that like it's. I wish we could have, I wish there was a way to just not have hateful speech, I guess that like, because it, it, it just like, it, it's, there's just nothing good about it. Like, I mean, right. uh, it's, it's one thing to, to address like social ills and other stuff without using language like that. It's, it just, it sucks that there, there are people who have to suffer through it. Anyway, I'm just, all this shit's fucking obvious. It just like, this is bringing it up. And then in a way that I feel like is relevant to this book, which is there's this other word the, and again, a book about a book written by a philologist. It's a it's a book where words are important and discussing them are important. Oh, another thing I would bring up is, is it's it's but that's distinctly different than like if you Google, okay, that other word, the the n word we're not using. There, I, I discovered a couple of years ago that there are a ton of places in Texas that are monuments and landmarks that all have that word in their name. Their official state given geological name geographic name will be that word will be included oh my and so you can you can go to places like mountains or lakes or rivers or other places that have names on maps and they have that word associated with that place and it is a lot there, there i i've i've saw a couple the reason i learned about it is because i saw some on a map when i was looking at going places and i was like why is that called that is and i even tried i tried so hard to be like well maybe this is just i mean we're in texas maybe this is an old spanish word that means something different like maybe this is very specifically like a, a tex mex language uh merger maybe nope. <laughs> turns out it's not turns nope. out it's fucking not and when you go, when you look it up there are articles that are like hey did everybody else know that there's all these places in texas with this name and what are what are people doing about it turns out there's a big story about it 
the the Department of uh, the Bureau of Land Management wants to change these places, but because of the way their laws work, they don't have they don't have federal overreach over local state named places. So the local state named places have to get their community together to change the names. And guess what? Texas doesn't want to do that. So we end up with a bunch of places around Texas that whose names you can't say because it's you wouldn't want to because you wouldn't want to run the risk of actually hurting somebody's feelings in a way that's completely fucking reasonable. I mean, just yet another reason not to go to that tiny, tiny state. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because, except, except Alaska. So oh big. my God. Do you get it, Doc? Yeah, dude, I do. I get it. Oh my God. But I will also say <laughs> you, that's big talk from a guy who wants to talk about how great Whataburger is. I went in Arizona. I didn't know it was a Texas chain, all right? Your ignorance is no excuse, Rob. I think it you is. You supported the oppressor. I did not. I was 11 years old. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway. So, fascinating. Glad we could have a mature conversation about it. Hopefully yeah. no one is upset by our conversation. It's a word I think each of us didn't know before. I knew it, but I didn't know the history of it. I assumed there was more of a connection, like I think most people do. Mm-hmm. All right, you ready for another one? Sure. Share a bang. Share a bang? Yes. <laughs> Share a bang. Well, that's... Uh, hey, get your no. mind out of the gutter. <laughs> I do. I need to get my mind out of the gutter. There's no way I can say that nicely. Uh, what is that word? It is a sightseeing motor coach. Yeah, it is. Share a bang. Look, How is it spelled? Uh, C-H-A-R-A-B-A-N-C. Okay. Just huh. for the record, the new word alert isn't only going to be offensive or filthy words. <laughs> or f- offensive or filthy homophones. It will be um, words we simply don't know, like like this one. Like, for example, when I read this, I didn't think, oh, that's pronounced charabang. Uh, I thought maybe it's pronounced charabanch. Or charabank. No, share a bang. Um, so there's one. Um, <laughs> this is a this is just a separate thing, but I felt like it was worth it's worth bringing up. Oligarchy. Oligarchy. Yeah. I I I I just have like a a vague tyrannical shape in my head for this word. So why don't you give me the actual definition? That's sort of the problem I had with it, too. I had a very specific envisioning of this word. It turned out I was incorrect. So Mm -hmm. it's why new words, why the new word alert has to happen. An oligarchy is a noun. It's a government by the few. It's a government in which a small group exercises control, especially for corrupt and selfish purposes. Like 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 the mayor and counselors of Lake Town. Yeah. My my misinterpretation was that I had mixed it up with I don't even know the right word, but I had thought it was ch- uh, again that, but also chiefly religiously motivated. Oh, I could see that, and I I thought that that was a huge part of it. And according to the dictionary, it's not. Mm-hmm. So I had to accept that. I don't remember what the religious government archetype is called, but it's not this theocracy. That's what it is. Uh, it's theocracy. I feel theocracy. like there's yeah, that's interesting because I can totally see that. But yeah. also, guess it's not. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's the end of my new words. Do you have any new words? I do not today. Okay. Well, uh, that's probably close to the end of Death Readers. So let's just say that I think we finish the book next time, right? So all the way. So chapter 15 through the appendices. 
Yeah, let me double check my math on that, but I'm fairly confident that we're done. Pretty sure you're right, because through the end of the story is not very not very much compared to what we read this time. And I think the appendices will go pretty quickly. Yeah, it's it's still it's about 70 pages, which is what we do anyway, because I know that like just for the record, so you don't skip it. You do have to at least skim the append the the appendices and notations at the back because there are art pieces of art that have notations on them scattered sure. throughout. So we're we are gonna at least scrub that just for the sake of maybe having something to say about them. But yes, chapter fifteen through the end of the book is what we're reading next time. Well, uh, that was a potentially hazardous new word alert and an interesting episode of death readers but regardless that was death readers i'm doug i'm rob thanks for listening thank you if you've enjoyed this podcast please rate review and subscribe on apple Podcasts, podbean or wherever you get your podcasts these reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion follow us on twitter and like our new facebook page for death readers news become a patron at patreon slash death readers and please discuss us extensively on reddit 